we are um, today coming to the end uh, of another one of the great journeys we've taken through a particular book or letter in the scriptures. Today, we close out the book of First Timothy, uh, and I feel a sadness. Uh, I do every single time. I feel like I'm just starting to, to, to find myself uh, in love with, comfortable with, awed by what God is showing us through this letter. And then you come to its end and you're like, I'm not ready to leave this one behind. And yet, isn't it incredible that we don't have to leave it behind just because we come to its end here, that the totality of scripture is available to us day in and day out for our ongoing lifelong exploration through which God will speak over and over again in new and glorious ways by his spirit through things we revisit a thousand times over. So may it be that as we close out the letter of 1 Timothy, that in some ways we only leave it on the table now with a foundational knowledge of what God has done so that in your and my ongoing exploration, if we find ourselves in 1 Timothy in the future, that we might have a richer, deeper, more beautiful understanding of what God is showing us through this incredible letter. So, so this letter... Um, was written uh, to Timothy from Paul as a letter of instruction to Timothy as Timothy prepared to confront a church uh, to reorient them and, and, and to reset their trajectory because they had lost their way. And, and so it is interesting to me that this letter ends up in scripture because it's a letter written now to us as the church. And yet this is a, a sort of a personal letter written to Timothy, like the notes behind the sermon. And what I love about this letter is that that is exactly what this is and why it is so profound that God put it in scripture for us as a church. It's like we're getting a glimpse into the conversation that happened before Timothy came and preached to the church. And we're hearing in that conversation, not just what Timothy needs to tell the church, but why. It's like the heart of God embedded in this beautiful letter from Paul to Timothy of God's heart for us, the church, and what matters and why it matters. What a thing it is that we get to explore such things that God would have put it in the scriptures for us. This particular church that Timothy is about to confront uh, to deal with false teachers that have entered this church and have derailed uh, the, the legitimacy, the beauty, the accuracy of the gospel, and have therefore now caused the church to begin to behave in a way that does not reflect the kingdom of God and the ways of God and the glory of God. Uh, Timothy's coming into this church to confront this church, and it's a big deal for Paul. Remember, Paul wrote to Timothy saying, man, I, I want to be there. I hope to be there soon, uh, but I'm, I, I can't get there. So I'm kind, of, I'm kind of tasking you to do this. And the reason it was such a big deal to Paul is because this church wasn't just a random church out there that had lost its way. This was the church in Ephesus, a church that was dear to Paul on a very personal level. Remember, this was the church that Paul gathered with the elders on his way to Jerusalem before he was even arrested. And they wept with him because they were afraid for his life because he was going to Jerusalem and he was going to get arrested. 
They actually traveled to meet Paul on his way. He didn't even have to go to the church to meet them. I mean, these are, these are dear friends of Paul, a dear church to Paul, and a big deal to him. And the church in Ephesus was an influential church beyond its immediate geography. It was a church that was a regional influential church. Other churches in, in the area of Asia Minor looked to the church in Ephesus uh, as a guide for things. It didn't make Ephesus more important than other churches. It's just part of the story that God wrote for that church. Some churches have influence beyond their immediacy, and that is the story God has for that church. Others don't. One not more important or special than the other, just uh, part of the purpose God has. And this church, Ephesus, because it was influential, when they derail, then it has impact beyond just the immediacy. So there is urgency on Paul's part, both because of his personal relationship, as well as because of the nature of the story of this church, that he's like, man, Timothy, you need to go in there and you, you, need, to, you need to confront this because it is causing great destruction. So that's the context of the letter, right? And as we've traveled through this letter, what we have discovered along the way, which is what we're going to revisit today so that we have a full scope of everything that we've learned along the way. So we can walk out of here going, there it is. That, that's what we're taking away. Uh, we watched this letter as it unfold. Paul really state with great clarity the purpose of this letter, the purpose of the confrontation with the church in Ephesus, and ultimately, in so doing, establish the purpose of the church itself. So Paul, in the very beginning of the letter, he writes what becomes the thing that matters most through the rest of the letter. In chapter 1, verse 5, what does he say? The aim of our charge, mine to you, you to the church, this letter, God to us, the aim of our charge is love. Okay, you guys were a little bit better than the nine, but there's like 12 of you. And there's more than 12 people here. And this matters the most. We miss this. We miss everything. Paul says, as it relates to the church, the people of God, the instruction I'm about to give, everything I'm going to call you into, there is a reason for it. There is an aim that we're aiming at. And that aim needs to be kept central and in mind the entire time. And the aim of our charge is love. love. That was better. Love. Now I'm just going to give you a clue. I'm going to be doing that throughout the rest of the sermon. When I get to the aim of our charge is, if 12 of you do it, we're going to be here all day. Okay? Because I'm not, I, we're, going to, we're going to go there. So the aim of our charge is love, right? Paul is writing this letter to say at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, that what we want to see happen, the reason we want things to be righted is because at the end of the day, the aim of us as a church, the aim of us as a people of God is to love, is to love well. The trouble is that the next question is then what is love? Because we have a thousand definitions of that. And so this letter is really about saying this, if the aim, of this charge is love, then here are the other things that matter that are going to cause us to be able to love well. That's what this letter is about. The aim of our charge is love. Here are the other things that matter in order for us to love well, to love 
in a manner worthy of the gospel, to love according to God's kingdom, to love according to God's love. Love matters the most. Why? Because we are the recipients of a God who came to show us love. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Uh, we know how great his love for us because while we were sinners, he died for us, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. I mean, everything in scripture, when you encounter God, you do not encounter a God that showed up to bring about righteousness in terms of its outcome of behavior, a judge, a demander, a, a, a person that came to, to ro rule in fear. You encounter an extraordinary, unbelievable, unthinkable act of love. And then God says, so if you uh, are my people, my church are going to represent me, then the aim of everything you do should be love. love. That's right. Okay, so if love is our aim, then what begins to matter? And as Paul unpacks this, past, this, this letter, uh, we start discovering a couple of things. The first thing we discover is that in the end, what Paul says is that the church matters. The church matters. The establishment and the preservation of the church matters. If we're going to be able to love the world in a manner that demonstrates God's kingdom and God's way and God's love, then the church matters. We've got to establish it. We've got to preserve it. The church in Ephesus was a mess. Uh, it, it was wrought with false teaching. The people in the church were behaving badly. It would have been so much easier for Paul just to say, write that one off. I mean, write it off. Just let it go. But what he's saying here is, man, Timothy, we're going to do this. We're going to confront this. We're going to engage with this. Do you know why? Because the church matters. God decided in his sovereignty that the way that he was going to move the, the gates of hell backwards on this planet, the way that he was going to invade the darkness, the way that he was going to overcome the unredeemed spaces was through the church, through love. Yes, but through the church. Very good. Very good. If I'm just going to say love will never be the wrong answer. If you go love and you get that feeling like, I said love, he meant the church. Don't feel bad. I'm like, no, love good. Because our aim is always love. And the church only matters insofar as it is the means by which God is going to show the world love. That's right. So the church does matter. We live in a cultural context uh, where, because the church can be damaging, can be hurtful, can be mean, can be misused, can be all those terrible things, that uh, we as a people in culture are, are more and more prone to say, I can do Jesus by myself. Now, I don't need the church. The church is, is not a good thing, not a helpful thing. And what Paul is saying here is that in order for us to love the way God calls us to, the church matters. This thing's messy, but you got to stay in it. You got to preserve it. You got to be part of it and you got to work through it. The church matters. The church matters because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. It is because he's in her, but that's where he chose to reside in us. And so the church matters. He also said to his disciples that uh, at the very end of their conversation before he was going to die and then rise from the dead, he said, if the world is going to know my love and know what my love is, they're going to have to see it through you. They're going to have to know that you follow me by your love one for another. The church matters. 
and we ought to preserve it and we ought to establish it and we ought to fight for it. And we need to fight in our time for this place to be beautiful and for this place to matter. And then as the church matters because our aim is love, another thing begins to matter that Paul starts digging into with Timothy. When the church, or because the church matters and the church needs to behave and be and be experienced according to the kingdom of God, truth also then matters, doesn't it? Why was the church in Ephesus such a mess? Because false teachers were teaching false knowledge that was not the gospel, not the scripture, and people were buying it because they did not know the gospel and did not know scripture well enough. And so the church was not being the church it was supposed to be, which means love was not the result. Division, judgment, uh, hierarchies, power trips, all those terrible things were, but not love. And so Paul says to Timothy, since the church matters because that's the means by which God is showing his love to the world, truth is going to need to matter for the church to be the church, to know how to love. Doctrine is important. So we learn in 1 Timothy, uh, love matters the most. The church matters for love to happen well on this planet. That's the way God designed it. So preserve and, 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 and uh, establish the church. Be part of it. Don't abandon it. And truth matters to the church if we're going to love rightly and love well. So he dives into that. And this entire thing talks about that we need to know God and his ways. Because we represent who? God and his ways. We represent his kingdom. So you ought to know who and what you're representing, right? We ought to trust God and his ways. We ought to live by God and his ways. And we ought to proclaim God and his ways, right? Truth matters. If we are not knowledgeable of God and his ways, or we know it, but we don't trust it, or we trust it, but don't live by it, or we live by it, but don't proclaim it, then we are missing the point because the aim of all this is love. And if truth becomes a means to bring judgment, to bring hostility, to bring, to, to, to bring division, to bring, then it is not producing what it's called to produce. And so we must have truth in order to love well, because if we proclaim something for the sake of love that isn't the kingdom of God, we are not loving. And if we use truth to judge instead of to save, we are not loving. So we need to know truth, understand it. Truth matters. Uh, we have to guard truth. And truth matters because our calling matters as a church. So in this letter, what are we going to learn? What matters most? Love. In order for love to be fulfilled in the way that God designed it, the church matters Truth matters to the church so that they can love well. And the church needs to remember that the reason truth matters and the reason the church matters is because we have a calling. And our calling is to remain faithful to the things of God so that we might be able to display the kingdom of God and display the reality of what he is doing, making God known and his kingdom known. We need to persevere in our calling. If we forget why we are here as a church, we will become self-centered. We will become self-oriented. 
we will start doing church for the things we want, the preferences we have, the ways we need things. It'll become about us. We will become complainers. We will lose gratitude. We will stop loving each other and we will lose our way because we will self-orient. I know no church you have ever encountered has ever done any of that, but hypothetically speaking, that's where it goes, right? And he's like, listen, if you forget why you're here, it's over. You'll stop loving well. Why are we here? What are we here to do? We are the outpost of the kingdom of God. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We are the embassy. When people walk into encountering the church, whether on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, in your workplace, when they encounter us in our collective in any form, they ought to experience the kingdom of God. What? They ought to experience the kingdom of God. And so we need to be bent on this reality that says, I am now part of the church. And the reason I exist, the reason we exist is to bring about on this planet a display of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is light and it is life and it is freedom and it is wonder and it is beauty and it is, it is all of it. And we get to bring it. And so what did he say? Love matters the most. The church definitely matters to fulfill that. Truth matters to the church for the church to be who she needs to be. And the church needs to remember her calling and persevere in it. You with me so far? And then he says this, speaking of calling, how on earth is this church, the people that have God residing in us by his spirit, how are we going to ultimately fulfill this calling? And he says, what matters is a pursuit of faithfulness to the things of God. It is not just what we know, truth, and what we proclaim, teach, truth, that makes us a people that display to the world the kingdom of God. It is actually equally how we live out what we trust about those truths we know. So we need to be individuals and a collective that remain faithful to serving and leading within the church. Why within the church? Because the people outside the church are watching the church to see what it's like to be part of the kingdom of God. And so when they look in here and they see us faithfully serving each other, faithfully leading each other, faithfully together, pursuing truth together, faithfully living out the realities of God's way together, then they're experiencing the kingdom of God. And in this letter, you will see these major themes that we encountered as far as what it means to live faithfully together. What are we pursuing together? Godliness, remember that? Godliness is of great value. Godliness is a mystery. Godliness is our pursuit. Not the ungodly thing, but the godly thing. Meaning the ways of God, not the not ways of God. And contentment. The result of godliness and the pursuit of godliness is that contentment becomes a part of that experience because we stop pursuing more for ourselves and start pursuing godliness for his kingdom and his glory and to love others, because the aim of our charge is love. And then generosity. 
Whatever we have, our talents, our gifts, our abilities, our money, our stuff, our things, our security, our safety, our whatever, it's all on the table. And we're like, I just want to spend myself for good works to be rich in good works because that displays your kingdom. So godliness, contentment, and being rich in good works is this means by which we faithfully engage with one another. Are you going to be faithful to this every day, all the time? So like three of you said no. The rest of you are like, I don't know, is that the right answer? So let's just say it out loud together so we can own it together. Are you going to be faithful to these things day in and day out for the rest of your life? No, we're not. So what he says to us as part of the way we love each other in the church is that when you are doing well in your faithfulness or I am doing well, let's encourage each other. Let's honor each other. Let's say, well done, great job. Love watching you. That was so helpful. And when we're not doing well in our faithfulness, let us lovingly rebuke each other. Hey, love you. What on earth are you thinking? I mean, I I get it, but like, wow, death, that's what you want to live in? Sounds like a plan, not really. Right, in other words, uh, this call to rebuke and this call to encourage are both equally on the table, but both with the aim of love. We don't rebuke for rightness. We rebuke because we understand who wants to live faithfully. That's right. Who wants to be godly? Who wants contentment? Who wants to be fearlessly generous? Who wants to be free of circumstance, relational dynamics, and resource challenges that sink us all the time? Who wants to live in the kingdom of God? I do. You do. So when you don't, if I love you, I'm going to come ask some questions. So we get to encourage, we get to rebuke, we get to do both. We need to do it all the time because faithfulness matters. Because when we are faithful, it demonstrates that we understand the gospel and the gospel matters. And when the gospel matters to the church and the calling, then the church does what it's supposed to do. And the church matters because it is the the means by which God loves the world. I don't know why, but that's how he did it. And so, man, doesn't it feel incredible that we matter that much? that God would say, come on, join me. I'm showing the world my love through you. And that's a, that's a big thing. And then throughout this letter, Paul is constantly telling Timothy and telling Timothy to tell the church, we pass this stuff on. Part of what it means to be together is that what you are learning, what you are seeing, what you're growing in, what's happening in you, what God is transforming in you, what you're struggling with, what you're wrestling with, what you're unfaithful in, all of it, bring it to the community. Bring your darkness, bring your sin, bring your wonder, bring your, 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 your clarities, bring your studies, bring them. We do this together. If we don't do this together, we're in trouble. And so what we get to do is we pass on to each other that which we are learning the beauty and the brutality of our journey. And as we pass it on, then the others around us, as will be true for us as we are the recipients of others passing to us, become more able to see, to know, and to understand the gospel, the things of God, and out of a response of worship to love well. Start in your homes, whatever your close home community is, whether you're married and have kids or just married or uh, you are with roommates and people, whatever your home is, parents, children, start there, pass on, teach, be a part of, discuss, get into it. And then our home here, 
let's be in this together. We need to be in community, in spaces where we are discussing, talking, and thinking together. That's how we get it passed on. And, and that's it. That's what Paul said. What matters most? Love. For love to happen, the church matters. Truth matters to the church. The calling of the church matters. Uh, remaining faithful to the things that we're called to, godliness, contentment, and generosity matters. And at the end of the day, pass it on. The book of First Timothy. And then at the end of that, in this last chapter, Paul is writing and he orients back toward Timothy specifically. And he gets back into a convo with Timothy. And he's saying to Timothy, okay, we've, we've covered all that ground. Now listen, Timothy, fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight for this. Don't give up. When it feels hard, gets hard, you want to abandon the church. You want to abandon truth. You're tired of this. Faithfulness is hard. I get it. Fight. Fight for it because it's worthy of a fight. And how do you fight? You take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. One of the things Paul does in this letter, you remember if you've traveled with us, is that throughout the letter, he writes these poems about Jesus. Remember, he does it three specific times. Why? Because what he's telling us is this. This is a big calling and requires much, but you are unable to fulfill this calling person or people of the church unless you are looking to Jesus empowered by his spirit, counting on him to do it. So all of this comes back, not as a calling to a responsibility you have to prove to God that you're going to be faithful, but a constant work of fixing your eyes on Jesus so that your works of faithfulness are a response of worship, not a self-righteous effort to prove anything to God. And so we are called actually not to do all these things, but to work at fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's our work. That's why we sing together. That's why we gather together. That's why we get in community together. That's why we study the word together, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Timothy, hold fast to the eternal life into which you have been called. And then out of that, he says, pursue godliness and contentment and be rich in good works. Be generous at a fearless level. Be fearlessly generous. Ask God, God, my stuff, my things, my talents, I use them so often, maintain them so often for something I need safety for. Help me just become fearless in giving them to you. And he says, do that, Timothy, and then you will see. And after all of this, we land now on the sermon we're doing for today. Just a few verses. But don't worry, because in many ways, what he's about to do with Timothy is really not complicated. It's taking everything we've just talked about. Remember, Timothy would have read this letter as it arrived. He's just read all of this. This has all just been encountered, not over months for him, but over one sitting. And now Paul is closing the letter out to Timothy. And can you imagine how overwhelmed Timothy must be feeling in some ways? Like, wow, that's a lot. So much to tell the church, so much to encounter, so much to confront, so much to think about myself. Wow, that's a lot. And then Paul wants to now take all of this for Timothy and all of this for us and say, Hold on, settle down for a second. Settle down. It's really not complicated. It's so simple. If you want to know not only where to start, but where to stay, here it is. You ready? Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
and we are in verse 20. And we just have two verses, and here it is. I'm going to read them to you. Watch the beauty of this closing, considering everything we've just covered. Oh, Timothy. I just love that. Don't you love that? Like when you say that to somebody, oh, Betsy, oh, John, you're either going, what have you done? Or you're going, what I'm about to say to you, I want you to know it comes from where? From the heart, man. This is, this is all of it. It's all bubbling up. Like I just get to that point where I've penned the last few sentences in this, in this chapter six, and I'm looking at what I've just written and the spirit of God has just given me. And I feel for Timothy, I'm Paul. And I just go, oh, Timothy. Oh, it's so much. Oh, it's so big. So listen, my friend, listen, my friend. Just remember this and all of it's gonna be okay. Let's take a look. Oh, Timothy. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. That's about all he says. There's one more sentence, but it has to do with guarding that. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. What is this deposit entrusted to Timothy? Well, we know what it is because throughout the letter, he revisits it. But then in chapter six, he literally says, hold fast to the eternal life to which you have been called and made confession before many witnesses. The the deposit that has been placed in Timothy is the beauty and fullness of the gospel. Now, it's, it's not a simple deposit that just happens once and then it's over. The beauty of the gospel, as many of you who are pilgrims toward Jesus with me know, is there is a profound encounter of the gospel, the redemptive work of Jesus that he came He lived, he died, and he rose from the dead to save us from our sin and give us eternal life. Yes, giant encounter that sets, but then the rest of your life, you keep discovering more and more and more and more and more depth and beauty and wonder and extraordinary nature of the gospel. And he's saying to Timothy, You've had quite a journey, my friend. You know a fullness of the gospel that is so extraordinary. One, keep getting a fuller experience of the gospel, but take what's already deposited into you and man, be faithful to that and hold to it and and guard it. There he's back in the fight language. You're about to walk into all sorts of crazy stuff in your culture, all sorts of crazy truth in your church culture in Timothy's case. But what are you guarding? the gospel. Guard the gospel. Because if the aim of our charge is love, and we don't guard the gospel, we cannot love. Because our love must be born out of a greater awe and clarity of what we are recipients of by God's love, so that we will love out of being loved. Love out of understanding the gospel, so that we might love in a manner worthy of the gospel. Timothy, guard the gospel. And then he says this, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swayed from the faith or swerved from the faith. Man, this is just a, it's not a complex sentence. It's got all sorts of stuff in it, but it just hearkens to the entire letter. What's the problem in the church in Ephesus? False teaching. And what kind of false teaching? He told us, uh, useless babble, genealogies, mysteries, knowledge that's only I, the leader, know. All this stuff, not about the gospel, about mysteries and wonders and contradictions and things. And here's what he says. Guard what? The gospel and avoid all the other stupid stuff that's called knowledge. 
So if you don't know the gospel and you don't know the word of God, how can you avoid all the stupid stuff because you won't even know what it is? So he's like, to guard the gospel, all these things that the whole book just said matter, right? All of it matters. And if you do that, then hold fast, guard the gospel and avoid, look at that, avoid all the stupid contradiction stuff, babble that is knowledge. Because you know what it's not? Knowledge. It's not knowledge. It's false. And so stay away from that. Whatever you do, guard the gospel, stay away. And why is it a big deal to stay away from all that stuff? Because it's a little damaging. Because it's a, it's a little irritating. Because it makes people mad. No. Because some have even swerved from the faith because of it. What? How urgent is it that we guard the gospel? How urgent is it that we avoid all the other stupid stuff? Very, because when we don't pay attention to what we are guarding by what we know and understand truth, by the way we live trusting that truth and faithfully living by it and by proclaiming it, then we are actually influencers of people's faith journey. That's a big deal. Guard the gospel, stay away from the other stupid stuff. And then look what he says here. Grace be with you. The last four words of this book. You know what's cool about these last four words? Is um, in scripture, sometimes the Greek language gives us something that the English language doesn't. That gives us a beauty and clues us into a meaning that we wouldn't have known if we just stuck to English. Vice versa too. Sometimes the English language gives us more depth than the Greek language does. It just kind of goes both ways. In this case, the Greek language wins. Because we just read grace to you now, right? Grace be to you. And we think, because we read it that way, that who's he talking to? Timothy. So who is he saying grace be to you? Who's the you? Timothy, except in the Greek language, this you is translated better, you all. So look what Paul just did. He's talking to Timothy. He's laying things out for Timothy. And then the last sentence, what does he do? Grace be to who? Y'all. Y'all. To who? To Timothy, yes. To the church in Ephesus, yes. To us, yes. Because if we are going to be a people that are an outpost for the kingdom of God, an embassy for the things of God's kingdom and for his glory, if we are going to be a people that love well God's way, that hold fast to being part of the church to love well each other and the world and God, who take truth seriously and study it and know it and understand it, who trust it and live by it and proclaim it, a people who live in our calling to be light to the world and an outpost for the kingdom of God, a people that are engaged in a life of faithfulness, godliness, contentment, and fearless generosity, a people who are constantly teaching and engaging with each other, rebuking and encouraging, rebuking and encouraging. We're going to need a ton of grace. We're going to need the Spirit of God to empower us. We're going to need our eyes to be fixed on Jesus, and we're going to need Him to fix them because we can't. What a beautiful thing. God, may your goodness constantly be shackles tying my heart to you. I'm going to need Him to even tie me to Him. So how much grace am I going to need? A ton. And how much are you going to need? A ton. So if we're going to do this, church, we've got to participate. We've got to jump in. We've got to, we got to take action. And we've got to lean deeply into the grace of God. Give 
the grace of God to each other regularly. Fix our eyes on the grace of God constantly and say to each other, grace be with you all. Because this is a big calling, a wonderful calling, an impossible calling, a stirring calling, a life worth living and pursuing, but one that we will need to lean deeply into the grace of God, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So here we land at the end of Timothy, 1 Timothy. And what are we left with? Church, church, what are we left with? Love is our aim. And the fact that he thought we would be a good idea to produce that love is crazy. It should make you feel giddy with excitement. God, really? Us? Have you seen us? There's no way it's us. There's no, there's no way it's us. If the aim is love, it can't be us. And then he's like, yes, it is. For I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. So church, here is your way. Live in it and trust me to make it so for you. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Lean into grace. Be there for each other. And let's charge the gates of hell and see them undone because we are the church and he is our God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the extraordinary love with which you have loved us. Certainly in every way, the only reason we can have these discussions, the only reason you could say such things through this letter, call us to such things is because you have loved us in a way we cannot yet fathom, perhaps never will. You have lavished upon us, love upon love upon love. And so now, God, we pray that you would empower us to be a people that would actively engage together in the journey forward to make important the things that matter to being able to be a church that produces your aim to love, to love you, to love each other, to love the world well. Help us, God, to step into these things boldly, unapologetically, and as we slip and slide our way through, fail and succeed, may we be for each other a voice of great encouragement and a loving voice of rebuke so that we might all find ourselves living faithfully, trusting godliness as a pursuit, finding contentment as a result of godliness and becoming fearless with our generosity to be rich in good works instead of being rich in anything other than good works. We thank you, God, for your incredible love for us. Show us the way in Jesus' name. Amen.